Hey everybody, welcome back to March Mad Men. You're about to listen to the final chapter of one delirious night of recording. In this one, we wrap up the matchups with A Tale of Two Sisters, going up against Paranormal Activity 3, and below squares off against The Changeling. We are trying to identify the greatest haunted house film of all time. Hope you enjoy the show. All right, it is the witching hour here in Southern California, but we are pushing through to finish our show. We have two more matchups to resolve. The alcohol is flowing. Hopefully our thoughts will remain somewhat cogent, but let's dig deeper into the haunted house genre and pit A Tale of Two Sisters, our number nine seed, against a worthy opponent, because it's starting to, these seeds are getting closer and closer. It's getting more and more interesting as we move through this. Now, A Tale of Two Sisters, of course, is a South Korean film from 2003, directed by Kim Ji-Woon. It's actually inspired on, a, based on a, a folk tale that uh, goes back a long way and has been adapted several times. And this this film blew me away when it came out. It definitely was something when I when I saw it, I was like, "Yeah, this is this is going to stick with me." So I give it a lot of props for that. It did make a lot of money in uh, South Korea, and it was screened in the states at a time when that didn't happen all that often. Uh, and it's been remade, and the American remake did not draw any attention, and that's probably uh, for the best based on reviews. It's a very interesting and somewhat convoluted plot, (laughs) but it involves a girl coming home to her family from a mental institution after a sort of mysterious trauma that has occurred. And when she comes back to this secluded home in the country, we start to gradually unravel the mystery of what happened with her father, her younger sister, and their stepmother. Believe you me, there are ghosts involved here. So A Tale of Two Sisters, I will kick it off just because I nominated this movie. Vic did not put it in his pairings for tonight, so I'm definitely championing it. At this point, I give it an overall quality grade of A, originality A, chill factor A, Antagonist C plus don't want to give anything away, but it's not really built around that per se. And and this is one of those films where I think chill factor can be an A and antagonist can be lower because why is it scary is not necessarily connected to a powerful traditional antagonist. I think you do see that with a lot of these films, actually. Antagonists tend to be kind of ephemeral in ghost movies. It's not it's not a kiss of death. Quality of kills, I'm going to say B minus. This is not a body count film, but uh, most of these films aren't. And it's more sort of the emotional impact of the death in this movie than any any gore or something like that. It's not that kind of movie. Directing, I'm going to give a B plus. I really love the style of this movie. I love the flow of it. I love the camera work. I love the mood and tone. I think that the directing is excellent. And, and again, I don't give out A's like for everything. I'm being harsh with my grading. Script is a B for me. I think it's a very good script. 
a little convoluted perhaps, but you know, so again, some things might be lost in translation here. We talked about that with the when we first nominated the movie. Uh, the subtitles aren't the best, but uh, it's definitely a mysterious story. And actually, of all the movies that we're looking at, this is one of the films that I'm most intrigued to really get out the the microscope and the autopsy tools and dig deeply into it because I I do believe there's a chance that its riddles, if once they're unraveled, could be really fascinating. And this is a movie that might actually merit, you know, great scrutiny. And honestly, I haven't felt that way about a lot of these haunted house movies. I just, I haven't really felt like, oh, well, if we just watch it really closely, it's, it's gonna like elevate itself. I just don't feel that way about a lot of them. And I do about this film acting as a B, look, what do I know? They're speaking another language, but I'm generally impressed by the performances in this film. And my judge's choice category is Crawl Food. Another Asian ghost movie has the most distinctive and scary crawling spirit action of all time. It happens to be a Japanese film that you may know called Juan. But I saw this movie first, and the early bedroom visitation sequence in this movie knocked my socks off. A later kitchen scene is right up there for me on the oh shit o meter. Uh, I like my horror to grab me by the fucking balls and not just be, ooh, that was a little spooky. And this movie definitely has that sort of alarming, arresting, scare sequence quality that I that I dig. And this is one of the few movies where I would look forward to pulling back the layers in a thorough but loving autopsy. So I'm giving it uh, my recommendation. I'm putting my weight behind it, gentlemen. So who wants to Vic, why don't you take it next since you're you're kind of a Asian cinema kind of dude? <laughs> I you know what? I am. And it's interesting that you say that you saw this before you saw Juan. I view this as sort of second tier Asian cinema behind certainly Juan and Ringu, Suicide Squad, the Cure, Cairo. You know, it's 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 right up there. It's a good movie. So I'm gonna again. I'm gonna say some bad things. This is a good movie. Like I enjoyed watching it when I watched it the first time. I enjoyed watching it again. It's a little hard to discuss without getting too spoilery. Overall quality, I give this a B. And I have the biggest thing is I have a lot of issues with the script that I can't really get into here. Originality, I give it a B. Chill factor, I give it an A minus. I mean, John, you are your your assessment of the woman crawling on the floor in the early dream sequence, and especially the woman. I mentioned it when you nominated it. The woman under the kitchen scene, let's say. Egad, they were doing things with horror and and the supernatural and ghosts in Asian cinema that I feel like as Americans we weren't we just hadn't considered how to really make them scary. It was terrifying. There are some knockout chills in this. Antagonist, I'm going D, but Whoa. again, it's hard for me to elaborate on that. I have a lot of issues with the script. Quality of kills. I give it a B. There's not many. Like you said, there's not, that's not what you're here for, but what's there works and ties into the story well enough that I sort of like what was there. 
Directing, I give it an A. Like, I know for all these, then that's what I say is like, look, I'm going to say some bad things. This is a good movie. The production design is immaculate. I mean, the, the, all of the flowers on the wallpaper and the blankets and the title sequence and the slow, long, languorous shots. I mean, John, like you were saying, this is my, from a directorial standpoint, this is my kind of movie. From a, from a, from a scares point of view, these are my kind of scares. I'm on board with this. There are too few of them. The script I give a C to because the most I can give away, I will say in my other. So, but the script I give a C to, there are third act issues that I don't like. I, I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I think more viewings and a little more research and, and, and hashing it out with you guys would take care of the logical issues with it. But just generally speaking, the script takes turns that I don't like in my horror movies. Acting, I give it a B plus. I thought both of the daughters were good, as well as the stepmother. The father, I just found a little bland. It's sort of a tough part, but I wasn't impressed with him. There's a there's a scene with an uncle and, and his wife that I, I didn't find either of them particularly compelling either. There's a quartet at the core of it. Three of them are great. One of them is just okay. That's a B plus. For the other, I'm giving it an F for high-tension foo. And if you've seen High Tension, you can work out why I why I have uh, issues with it. That's the, the the most explanation I will give for the things that I am down on this movie about. But there are a lot of things that I'm high on it about. Uh, again, especially the the directing, the camera work, the performances, and the, the production design, and the the scares that are there are top notch. That sounds like a very even handed assessment. Rich, let's uh, let's get your input, man. What do you think? Well, I feel like you guys have uh, pretty different viewpoints on this movie. So I'm a little bummed that I don't feel like I have more to say about this film. You know, I take my my job here at March Mad Men very seriously. That said, there are some movies that you shouldn't even just get a little stoned before you see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure that 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 even if I hadn't been a little high when I saw this movie, that I would still need to look up the screen rant explanation of what the hell actually happened at the end of it. Oh yeah, that's guaranteed. And I think that that's a combination of the script and like Vic, you point out that it's well directed and I'd agree, but I'd also say that regardless of your script, if you can't follow the story, then it's not that well directed. It was a beautifully put together movie. I agree that it was it was it had an ambitious story. I understand it's based on uh, on like an old like you know folkloric tale, um, and I can see that. I love the pacing of it, patience. I really wasn't sure where the movie was going or what um, was going to sort of be the hook of it. I know that John really liked it, and so I was eager to to see it. And I do feel like when the initial twist of the movie comes. Um, I did find it, I was really grabbed by it and found it very compelling. I'll say that the overall the movie felt a little aged and stilted. I gave it an overall quality of a B plus. That's not its fault for being a little older, but it mostly thrives on its twists at this point. It was pretty lyrical and patient, um, which I liked. It did feel fresh and original to me, uh, which I give it A minus. I gave a B for chill factor. I feel like there were a lot of lulls. Um, in between the the few scares that showed up. And like you said, it was more about the mystery unfolding over time. Quality of kills, B+. 
again, there are a few kills in here. It's not really the, the, the point of this movie. They're more the, the kills are more reveals in this film than anything else. And sometimes there's a question as to whether or not they may or may not be real. This movie didn't feel very supernatural. Um, it felt like a very grounded ghost uh, or haunted house film in ways that both, I think, hurt it and helped it. But then when it takes this fantastical twist at the end, suddenly it kind of goes to the other end of the spectrum. And I think maybe that's partly to blame for the confusion. I gave this a B for directing and a B for script. Uh, unfortunately, I do not have an other for it. Um, nothing is sticking out in my memory quite the quite enough to, to give a mark for that. There's a lot of TV static in it that obviously reminded me of Poltergeist. But I'm wondering, like, that feels like something that you see a lot in these kind of movies. Do you guys agree with that? Is, or, is it fair to call snow on a, on a TV? Is that a trope of haunted house films? That didn't occur to me, Vic, beyond obviously Poltergeist and here and there. But I don't remember it in this movie, to be honest. There's a, there's a scene where the stepmother is literally sitting in the living room watching a TV with static on it. And the other one that jumped out at me is uh, uh, Dead Birds. That There are dead birds in this, obviously, but you also have the, the dead birds in The Conjuring. And I think when we get further into this, there's a larger conversation about pets and their sort of reaction to it. Or animals, I guess, and their reaction to the supernatural. But uh, I, I don't know. I, like I said, it was the same thing. Just coming right off of The Conjuring, uh, dead birds is something else, I guess, just to be on the on the lookout for as we go through this to see how much how much more often those things come up. Um, I certainly feel like static uh, pops up here and there. Off the top of my head, I believe that a Ouija two also has a lot of staring at static on TVs. But we didn't mention with Oculus that uh, there is an animal component in that one. So exactly, yeah, well, yeah. That's, it's gonna. I think that's something that's gonna come up uh, increasingly when we do our deep dives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and the Conjuring as well. Which will not come up on our deep dives. It will not. It will not. But I I think that that was a fairly effective uh, part of The Conjuring, for what it's worth. I want to point out real quick before we move on to the next movie that I love, love, love the score in this movie. I absolutely love A Tale of Two Sisters score. So it gets points for that with me. And the opponent that A Tale of Two Sisters is up against is our number 24 seed, Paranormal Activity 3, which I nominated, and I have to say I didn't rewatch either of these films since our last episode, and it's amazing how hazy Paranormal 3 is for me at this point, so I'm not going to lead off the scorecard. One of you gentlemen, uh, please kick us off with yours. I wouldn't say that I am a... I'm a big fan of the Paranormal Activity franchise. Um, they certainly they seem cheap to make. They are occasionally effective. I wouldn't say that this one is necessarily any different. But this Paranormal Activity centers around a family in – I actually didn't get the exact year, but I'm, I'm relatively certain that it's meant to be the mid to early 90s. Two daughters, one of whom is Katie from the first movie. If I was following the the lore correctly, as I as I watched the movie, so it's about these two sisters who are being raised by their mother and their new stepfather, who are played by uh, Chris Smith and uh, Lauren Bittner. And it's a paranormal activity movie in the sense that it 
basically is about a family in a house and there's a spirit that is haunting them in a, in a variety of ways, as with many of these films. But it is, this is, of course, the, the real forebearer of the found footage movement. Um, and I say that knowing that we still, you know, there's like Blair Witch and Last Broadcast and all those movies, but I really feel like Paranormal Activity is what fully delivered the sub-sub-genre of found footage movies into the forefront of horror. And a slew followed after this one made a, uh, after the first one made a ton of money. I have seen most of the sequels, and I will say that not a lot of them really uh, stood out. But this one, I did remember that it had a mythology to it that I found effective. And really, I was surprised that revisiting it, it really stuck out as a pretty unique uh, entry into the series. Not because it reinvents the wheel. It just takes what the wheel was and does it in a better way than any of the previous installments had. You know, I give an overall quality of A-. minus. I feel like it's largely due to clever scripting, um, especially for this series. And the, the driving force of the found footage in this scenario is that the, the father is a wedding videographer and that he starts to sense that there's something odd inside the house and so he starts, starts setting up cameras everywhere um, to record the action. Originality, I gave it a B, which maybe seems a little outrageous for Paranormal Activity 3. I'd say that not the plot is the original thing, but the devices, yes. Um, there's been a couple of mentions of it, but this whole movie – a big chunk of the movie actually is driven by the fact that the father uh, decides to mount a camera to an oscillating fan motor that he then places in the corner of the living room and it pans back and forth, basically, you know, creating an effect almost like if you were to open your left eye only and then your right eye only. So you're only seeing one side of the room at each time, um, giving a chance for things to, to appear and disappear. The chill factor, I gave a B. Uh, like I said, the, the, as we said earlier, like, like the number of times that you've seen a kid talk to someone who wasn't there, you know, this this trope really tops the list. This movie is obviously a big violator of this trope. Um, the whole movie is driven by this little girl who's having conversations with a little boy named Toby. Toby lives in, of course. Um, a weird little closet crawl space that is in the corner of the kid's room. Um, and she has tea parties with him. He also has a presence. Like there's a lot of mentions that like, Oh, Toby's right behind you. Or that's Toby's seat. Um, Toby just kind of chills with this little girl until he's ready to start fucking things up in the house. By the way, I Googled the, uh, the conjuring. It was Rory. So we have, uh, we have Toby and we have Rory are the imaginary friends. My bad earlier. We can, uh, close that loophole. So yes, Toby is the imaginary friend in this one. There's a bit that is like sort of a kind of a classic paranormal activity gag where, you know, the, the camera is, is on the kitchen and the kitchen is, is like any American kitchen. It's full of like a breakfast nook table and appliances all over the, the counter. The camera pans away so you can't see it um, and then pans back again. The kitchen's empty. And when someone walks into the room, all of the furniture falls to the ground from the ceiling. It's clever and, and, and effective, even if it's not particularly scary. Antagonists is a B minus. Toby is basically an invisible force. And other than a few like of the classic, like, you know, suddenly uh, someone is attacked and they feel claw and they have claw marks on their body. Um, you don't get a whole lot um, that's very specific from this antagonist. 
quality of kills. There really aren't any kills in this film. There's a couple that happen towards the end. And I would describe them as being pretty found footage-y in the sense that like like Blair Witch, where it's, you're kind of half seeing what actually happened to someone. And a lot of it is based on like a falling camera or something flying at you. So it's definitely a weakness of the movie. Directing is a B plus. Like the movie just kind of starts off again. Like you, you just like jump right into the action I actually thought that maybe I'd skip to the middle of the movie somehow, the way that it just throws you into the middle of their story. They nail the 90s vibe in this thing. And I actually think that this movie would play pretty well as a theatrical experience. I was watching it on my laptop and I kind of felt a little bummed that I wasn't getting to see it in a theater with other people reacting to it because the scares were pretty effective. I gave the script an A. It was written by Christopher Landon. Um, who's the son of Michael Landon, for those who remember him. And when I was really like impressed with the script itself, I looked him up and realized he's the guy that did Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You, both of which I thought were pretty clever, inventive spins on the genre. So it didn't really surprise me that he was involved with it. The dialogue is not necessarily realistic, but it is fun. I like that they frequently end scenes when people are just mid-sentence to sell the found footage vibe. Um, and my other is that I'm giving this uh, this movie an A for sex tape foo. Um, <laughs> the police are almost at your door. Hold, hold for sound. <laughs> there's a there, there's a there's what I thought was actually a pretty effective moment where the husband is for some reason set, has set up in a camera in the bedroom while they're smoking pot and the wife is paranoid and then he convinces her uh, to have sex on camera, which he eventually coaxes her into. And then right before they're about to do the deed, there's a disturbance in the house. Toby is such a cock tease. <laughs> cock, cock block. Right. It's, cock block. It's like, it's like, it was so prolonged and like effective and like, and this, this movie for some reason, this moment and Lauren Bittner in particular at that moment made me realize like haunted house movies are really the subgenre of hot moms. If you're hunting for milfs, then haunted houses are your subgenre. All these movies, like in no other subgenre of horror is the attractive female protagonist walking around in a t-shirt and panties for several minutes out of the movie, also going to be a hardworking mom, whether it's single or with a dad, but she's always there, whether it's Nicole Kidman and the others, Joe Beth Williams in Poltergeist. Um, I just feel like they're all over this genre, and I, for one, am grateful. I think Poltergeist is the gold standard of uh, the mom walking around in her panties, personally. Well, that certainly speaks to the the undercurrent of sexuality that I feel like I keep mentioning. What I was struck by watching this one again is there is a template to the Paranormal Activity movies that they do kind of recreate here, and that's one of the beats, right? Is that there is also they – have, they have kind of the same beat in the first Paranormal Activity except they turn off the camera for the sex, and then he turns it back on, and I, I believe – well – I believe you make some reference to uh, something that would be illegal in Utah, but whatever. Um, <laughs> this makes a really cool juxtaposition with the tale of two sisters because this is a well done film. It's a well done found footage film. One of the things I kept thinking of while I was watching this is that something that doesn't get 
enough credit is that good good found footage films really do depend on the directing and the the two directors on this uh i want to say juiced henry juiced and i forget the other guy's name ariel um, shulman they are good directors and there's a there's a patience involved with it in terms of letting the scenes play out and really building the tension up to the scares my issue with it is that 90% 90% of the scares are jump scares. And one of the problems with the paranormal activity movies in general is that their antagonist has no corporeal form to speak of. So in terms of the visuals, it's almost the opposite of A Tale of Two Sisters, which doesn't have a ton in the way of jump scares. It has a few. But the horror really comes from prolonged, dread-inducing shots of spectral figures that really are affected. This doesn't have anything like that, but it still works. Somehow, it still all comes together. So I give it overall quality a B. Uh, originality, I give it a C for for what you were dismissing, Rich, which is this is another paranormal activity movie that follows, by and large, with the exception maybe of the, the sort of the last couple of, of minutes, uh, follows the, the prescribed formula for this kind of movie. Chill factor, I give it a B plus. Again, even though the the scares are largely jump scares, the tension leading up to them is so patient. The oscill- not just the oscillating fan, although that's enormously effective, but there are a few other scenes that that I felt like really worked. The Bloody Mary scene in the bathroom—that's a long scene and really it- well done. Yeah, that scene is intense. I also thought of the. For some reason, the the guard the bit where she sticks her hand down the garbage disposal only to have the the bulb explode also stood out to me. Which I totally wrote down and and wrote down Amityville 3D next to it because we've already talked about the the inherent tension in anyone sticking their hand in the garbage disposal. All that stuff really affected. There, these guys are good directors. They're bringing they're bringing good stuff to it. Antagonists. I actually went B plus, even though it doesn't have the physicality, the, the the visual terror that you want in something like this. It goes some places in the third act that I thought made the antagonist particularly interesting. Quality of kills, C. Uh, found footage is the exact right direction. Directing again, B plus. Script, I give it a B. Not the most original, but it does it does go some some interesting places. Acting, I give it a C. I was not enamored with, in particular, with any of these people, especially the husband. And for my other, I just give it an F for jump scares. It is among horror fans, among among those of us who are connoisseurs of this genre, it's the laziest scare you can kind of do. Even you can do it well. This is done better than I don't know Halloween H two O. They're they're better executed, I think, than a lot of jump scares. But it does get a bit repetitive, and you do wish for something that has that that lasting feeling of dread. A little bit in the last act, but not much. We were talking about jump scares and not like cat scares. Like they're not fake outs. No. The scares that happen here are done with intent. Um, and they're done with the intent to scare. So they're certainly organic to what's happening in the story. It's just that they're a little they're a little cheap, but they are effective. Agreed. 
thick. Uh, I'm getting a little emotional right now. It's like it's dusty here in my little podcasting area because you said something bad about Halloween H2O, and it just it warms my heart. <laughs> well, John, I, I've been I've been watching it every morning for uh, about about a year and a half now. And yeah, it's the, the, the negative qualities are starting to wear on me. Wow. So you, you are in your own little corner of hell. <laughs> yeah. I'm still, I'm still going to watch it again tomorrow morning. Just you masochist. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, what you guys are talking about with the, the scares, jump scares in general, I think that Rich made a, a good point there, that there's a real distinction between phony baloney, hi, you know, some character just pops up and, you know, it's not a real scare uh, versus something that, yeah, it's surprising you. It's shocking. Uh, it might be a, a, a light fixture crashing to the floor, but there's a, you know, a meaning to it. It's, it has to do with the phenomena. There are both the visceral immediate scare of being startled and, and there's also the implications of why did this happen and what does it mean again versus a, uh, a cat jumping out at you or something like that. So I don't have a big problem with that in this movie at all. Um, and I think they are generally well-timed and, and well-staged. So, yeah, I'll go quickly through my scorecard. Uh, overall quality is a B. You know, frankly, everything is a B except for the acting. The, the acting was weak. I gave it a C. I just, you know, there's very, there's nothing to distinguish the performances. Uh, there, it's not terrible. Nothing stands out in a negative way. But no one emerges in their performance uh, very much to me. So that's one of the weaker points. And other, of course, is fan foo. I mean, yes, I love the oscillating fan. I love the timing of the scares with that and the reveals of uh, what happens, you know, in between one take as the camera moves and then, you know, no visible cut. And yet when the camera comes back, things have changed in some meaningful way. It's, it, it's awesome. It's very effective. And I also really appreciate there's so much less padding in this movie than the first Paranormal. I've never seen Paranormal 2, but I really appreciate how much this movie is paced better and delivers, you know, some kind of scare on a regular basis. And while the ghost stuff is mostly same old, same old with the imaginary friend again, and a lot of things that kind of feel old hat, like the yanked bed sheets and the doors that suddenly won't open and the lights that won't turn on and something pounding on the other side of your door, blah, blah, blah. There's just enough things like the fan cam that elevate the business that we see. There's a pretty creepy sheet gag in this movie. And I also, I like that the, the distinction that this movie and Conjuring and a few of them are making that if you've got a ghost, like, okay, that's, that could be a little problematic. You've got to figure out what it wants, blah, blah, blah. It's the spirit. It has needs. It's a person. It wants to have sex with you. Possibly. Yeah, very uh, possibly. Probably, yeah. yeah. It has needs. We all have needs. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Legend of Hell House. Yep. Yep. But a demon is a much bigger problem. I'm getting to like that in this whole milieu that we're in here. That if you're dealing with a demon, it's it's not it was never a person and it can pretend to be a person. It can pretend to be Toby or whatever, but it has like a much more anarchic quality. And it's nothing but a trickster 
and it really only wants to hurt people. And the inhumanity of it, I think, is scarier, and it's obviously more powerful within the Conjuring verse or, you know, the Haunted House verse. And that is the case in Paranormal Activity in all of these films. They're not typical ghosts. It's not really about the backstory of so-and-so died. And, you know, even if you have somebody who who died or, or whatever in these houses, the central quality is that you're dealing with a demon. And this movie, I love the ending. It, it takes that kind of story and, well, what... If you have a demon, you might have a cult or whatever. There's things associated with demons that are are scary to me. It has a bleakly nihilistic, no way out kind of a scenario that the characters kind of find themselves in. We've seen this kind of stuff before, but I think it's very effectively done here. And this is this is a movie that, in my opinion, sticks the landing. So uh, I definitely like it, and I support it, and I'm glad it's in the competition overall. It's a little forgettable along the way for me, you know, like a lot of the typical stuff. I I watch it and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, it's nice. That's kind of effective. But it goes, you know, in one ear and out the other. It doesn't stick with me the way that uh, A Tale of Two Sisters does. So I'll just cast my vote first. I am going to give it to A Tale of Two Sisters. I I like Paranormal Activity 3. So, Vic, what's your vote? John, I, this is gonna this is gonna hurt you personally, and I want you to know that I take no pleasure in that. I am going to vote for Paranormal Activity three on the basis that, and a further unpacking might prove me wrong, that A Tale of Two Sisters is not really a haunted house film until the last ten minutes. Well, what would, therefore, you, what would you call everything that we've been talking about with the bedroom visitation and the kitchen scene and all that good stuff? High-tension food. That's what uh, I would call that. I see. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to cast my vote for Paranormal Activity 3. But wait, one, one second. Like, that sounds like a technicality. I want you to do that because you think it's a better movie. Not a technicality, man. I, I have I have rated them both in terms of overall quality as a B. Mm-hmm. So they're they're essentially a tie. They're very different movies. But no, I the ending of A Tale of Two Sisters pisses me off. Okay. In the in the same way that High Tension did, but I can't elaborate on that. Yeah. All right. Well, Rich, do you want us to defend one of these movies, or do you have like a really strong feeling about which way you're going to go here? This was already my decision before Vic went, and, and yeah, it it pains me to say it, but it's like there's certainly a debate here that like I could I can tell you that Paranormal Activity is it's it's a soda. It doesn't have a whole lot of like value to it other than caloric value, but it's enjoyable. It's consistent. It's sweet. Um, it's well produced. I really enjoyed every second of it, and I can recognize that Tell Two Sisters was a superior piece of film craft, but, but it was just not grabbing me in that way. The way that Paranormal Activity did from minute one, and still had me at the end of the movie, and Tell Two Sisters didn't even get my attention until you know forty five minutes in. And then it kind of lost me. I'm, I was really interested in going back to enjoy Tilla Two Sisters, but I think I got to go for Paranormal Activity Three. Boom! We have our first upset. 
This is horrifying. This is <laughs> <laughs> this is scarier than than the movies themselves that you guys would would pick as as Rich very aptly put it a flavorful empty beverage over a rich brew. This is what the tournament is all about. Cinderella story, baby. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's different, there's different types of horror movies. And I mean, like some of the, the thing is that the thing is that paranormal activity three does its job very, very well. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily a glamorous job, but it nails it on many levels. That's not easy. That's not an easy task to accomplish. So we're just to be clear on this. We've taken the movie that I said thus far that I would be the most like intrigued to analyze and we're giving it the boot and we're going with analyzing a movie that we can pretty much all agree it's not going to reveal too many great insights and mysteries to us. But I will say these are both my nominees and I don't even think you motherfuckers would have put Paranormal Activity 3 in the tournament if I hadn't done so. Is that is that correct? <laughs> no, I would have put Paranormal Activity three in. You would have, and, yes. Okay, I didn't even know it was on your radar, Vic. Uh, you turned out absolutely. And furthermore, I can tell you that analyzing Paranormal Activity three will not reveal it to be a, a Jacob's Ladder subterfuge of uh, narrative trickery. <laughs> yes. Wow. All right. Well, the votes are in and. Look, I don't hate this movie at all, and at least we get to talk about uh, the ending some more, which I do find really cool, and it will be a um, a spoiler discussion. So that's it. I'm I'm a little disappointed, but um, I'm not gonna you know bust out the pitchforks and torches and burn down your homes, even though I do think you guys are fucking Neanderthals. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is guys, this is exciting. I understand, John, I know you're disappointed. I think at some point in this tournament we are all going to be disappointed. And yeah. so I feel like it's it's important for all of us to to start developing a thick skin and also reveling in John's pain when the opportunity presents itself. Especially audience. Yeah. Nope. No one will be more disappointed than the listener. <laughs> <laughs> well, our next matchup, our final matchup of the night, are two of Vic's nominees. So, uh, oh, God. It's like, it's like choosing between my children. I, oh, I'm so not looking forward to this. You can only lose, Vic. You can only lose. That's right. <laughs> Why don't you just vote now on these two without discussing them? <laughs> Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it is almost one in the morning. But uh, no, let's try to let the process, let's have some respect. Let's not make a mockery of our process. So it's below our number 10 seed versus number 23, the changeling. And uh, yeah, these are both Vic specials. So I'm going to let Vic lead it off. Uh, give us your scorecard on your favorite movie of all time below. All right. It's not my favorite movie of all time. But I have probably seen it 20 times. Uh, That is not an exaggeration. Below, I give overall score of A. It's just a really well done movie. The casting is good. That it works as a World War II submarine movie and as a haunted house movie. I know I've said that before, but that is 
really a miracle to be able to pull off both of those elements and have them work as well as they do. For originality, I give it an A, really for that reason. It's a haunted house movie in a submarine that's a even more original take on it, I feel like, than sort of the, the mumblecore lens of the innkeepers or even uh, our point, I feel like, because it takes it so far out of the, the haunted house arena while still, I think, clearly qualifying as a haunted house movie. Chill Factor, I give it a B plus. There are a couple of, of really subtle and terrifying scenes in it. It is not the scariest movie I've ever seen just on a, on a, on a hair-raising level, but the scares that are in there, especially given the period setting, uh, and, and just the part of what's interesting about it, everything we've been talking about, haunted house movies tend to be either suburban or they tend to be sort of secluded cabins. And so to have this in a, in a completely different environment, it's one that we're not really familiar with it. This is not a movie that comes home with you in the way that a paranormal activity does. And so to have the scares that are in it work as well as they do, uh, I think is, is really impressive. So again, chill factor B plus. Vic, I just want to point out really quick, this movie is going to win. So you don't have to try too hard. You guys are already <laughs> shitting on the changeling. I haven't even started. Fine. You want to defend the changeling for 15 minutes? Go ahead. But this movie, it, it's it's looking pretty good for Below. Okay. All right. Uh, antagonist, I give it I give it an A. Quality of kills, I give it an A minus just because of the very last kill. I think there are a, a, a couple of interesting kills in this that are that I'm really looking forward to talking about. Directing is an A. No question. Script, I give it a B plus. The first hour of it is brilliant. And there is one line. I'm not even going to explain this. There is a line when Holt McCallany's character uh, has sent Coors and Odell out to try and fix something in the hull. Only one of them comes back and he sees him and says, where is Mr. Oak? And then he turns around and it's Odell and he realizes Cores. Where's cores? There's more weight in that line. It's right there with the moment in the descent when she drops the locket down at the second plot point. It's a brilliantly scripted moment. Uh, acting, I give it an A. Only o- uh, Odell is is uh, a little bit bland, but everybody else, I think, really interesting faces, really interesting performances. I have a friend uh, who who worked on the Avengers movies, and when he was working on Infinity Wars Part 1, he told me that their, their sort of code name for it, because they didn't want to get it in the press, was some kind of reference to Mary Lou Retton. And I said, what? why, why is that? And he said, because we have to stick the landing. So this gets an F on the Mary Lou Retton scale. Hmm. It is brilliant for the first 75 minutes it doesn't stick the landing and i'll be really curious to see how uh, how that stacks up in the face of other things how many things can you do right if you just have one very obvious flaw how that how that takes it down well i'm surprised that you kept that under an hour because uh you're very passionate about it but uh fuck, fuck you john <laughs> Rich, you're you're on team below, so why don't you uh, wax rhapsodic about it for a while yourself? 
I don't know about a while. I'm going to make this brief uh, because I've already picked my sides. I'm really looking forward to hopefully going back and watching Below again. I will say that I did get to watch it recently. Um, it wasn't under the best of circumstances, but I was able to, to kind of take the movie in. And I got to see it not only a few months ago at Halloween weekend, Everybody Drink, where I couldn't hear half of it and I missed part of the movie. But I will say that every time I see it, just the pieces that I watch again – Remind me of why I like this movie so much to begin with. Overall quality is an A. It's just beautifully shot from the get-go. It actually sort of boggles my mind how old the movie is, which the – what's the exact year, Vic? 2002. 2002. It doesn't show its age very much. Actually, the movie looks pretty fresh to me. Um, and I know that's a period piece, but still, like, it just goes to show how well they did it. It's just a good unfolding mystery um, although I do agree that it has some issues in the in the third act. Um, originality A for the same reasons that, that Vic said. Chill factor B, honestly, like some of the ghosty stuff in it is some of the weaker points, ironically. Some of the effects, like the people sort of seeing things that, that aren't there or seeing like altered versions of reality in the mirror. Wait, that was Oculus, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It does feel like occasionally like this movie has a has a lot of ideas that are very cool, but they don't always add up to a full picture. Antagonist, I actually went with C. Part of it being the, the issue that is in the, the third act is that while I like the story that unfolds and the reason why all this is happening, and I like the performances, I just feel like there's no strong antagonist in here. Quality of Kills is a, is a B. Uh, directing is an A. This is one of the slickest movies in R32, this feels like a big budget movie. And I can't imagine it was that big of a budget, but um, the money that they spent shows for the most part, there's a few bad CGI effects, but for the most part, it plays pretty well. The script is an A, which is surprising because it had a ton of writers on it and seems like it went through a bunch of rewrites, but it's not only like a well-constructed mystery, but also just like the lines and there's there's so many um, notable lines in this and and some of it kind of reeks of like screenwriters who did you know research on you know what people said in the navy in the 1940s and it shows like there's there's some point where they see a they see fire on the horizon and someone says they're pouring on the coal for somebody and it's like pouring on the coal like what the hell is this like a Tom Waits song like no one actually <laughs> uses that kind of language I only read about that in books. So, but you know, there's little bits like the the all the this the moments where they're trying to keep very quiet because they're worried about being caught on sonar, and you know they're trying to be so quiet that like a guy reaches up and turns off a tiny fan that was blowing air around the room. A lot of thought was put into every scene and every interaction here, and uh, I'm I'm giving it an A for barrel foo because the scene where the depth charge barrel comes and sort of dances along the top of the ship. Um, and everyone in the ship is waiting for, for what's going to happen next um, is a really indelible moment that, uh, that is the thing that I remember from this film and, and just sort of summarizes the level of tension the film is going for in the big picture. Fucking A. I love that scene. I really like this movie up to a point. You know, I think that the World War II aspects of it and the suspense and the tension – uh, that you guys mentioned in the directing. Yeah, that's, that's an A for me as well. Um, are masterful. And this is a movie I don't mind watching because of that. Like, I think the journey that it takes you on is 
vivid, unique, memorable. I don't, I don't dread taking that journey, but I'm not going to give it high marks in certain categories because of the flaws. B for me overall, but all night I've been giving things B, so you don't have to lose your mind over that. <laughs> Originality for me is a B plus. The things that would keep it from being an A are just the way that the backstory that we ultimately get about the haunting, how that plays out is is the part that is relatively ordinary and familiar. But yeah, big props for Haunted House on a on a fucking submarine. And I really enjoy the the setting. Chill Factor is a B for me. This is definitely a scary movie. Uh, so that that gives it a B. Antagonist is a C. Uh, don't really think, I think this is along the lines of without giving anything away. This is very much like the devil's backbone in that regard. Quality of kills is a B plus. Uh, I, I actually like the way that people die in this movie. For me, B plus is a good grade, not a bad grade. Directing is an A. Yeah. It's so well orchestrated. The, the affecting sequences in this movie that are keeping you on the edge of your seat or, you know, evoking an emotional response. Everything is tight. There's nothing is loose and ramshackle. Uh, it's it's very effective. Script is a C plus for me. I'm taking major points off for the resolution of the film, and I, I just to me I think that that is significant. Uh, it would have been a much 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 higher grade if the ending was just more satisfying. We'll leave it at that for now. Acting is an A. Really appreciate the cast top to bottom. And my judge's choice category is antenna foo. And I'm not even sure that's the perfect word for it. Maybe we'll find that out later. Uh, but if you've seen the movie, you might understand what I'm talking about. There's a, an impalement. I thought it worked both visually and in terms of the character involved, how he came to be in that situation. That was pretty sweet. I really liked that. Uh, that's a good kill. So I think there's a big drop-off between, say, the top five or six seeds in this movie. This is the first of the top seeds that, personally, I don't have a big fascination with the way I guess you guys do. To me, it's kind of less than the sum of its parts. But at the same time, there's so much I really appreciate about this movie. I'm not dreading going deeper with it. No pun intended. Submarine movie. Hey! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not to take the suspense out of the situation, it's got my vote versus the changeling. But uh, yeah, let's let's get to the changeling because it's it. Look, Vic, I know you love the changeling as well, and it grew on me a little bit in this viewing. But why don't you kick us off with your your pay on to the greatness of the changeling? John's just spoiled all the suspense by giving away his vote, which is fine. It's fine. That's <laughs> fine. The changeling does feel weirdly like a sacrificial lamb in this, but like I said, this is this is a little bit like choosing between my kids. I love the changeling. Overall quality, I give it a B plus. I think there are some clumsy sequences, but overall I find it just to be a really effective gothic haunted house story. Instead of being put through the lens of a World War II submarine movie or a Mumblecore movie or whatever, or a, a, a found footage movie, you know, it's put through the lens of like an Alan Pacula 1970s political thriller. And it takes a little while to get there. It's it's very, I will not say slow, I will say it's deliberately paced, but I really find it effective. I find 
most of the scares effective. And I find the ending to uh, ironically be tremendously satisfying. So overall quality, B plus, B plus. Originality, I give it a B. Again, the Haunted House stuff runs through all the tropes that we're talking about. But there is this whole other side to it, a mystery that that plays out in a very interesting way. And I liked the way that that came together. There are some some leaps by the main character, but whatever. Chill Factor, I give it a B. There are scenes in this movie that I find to be scary. I know Rich has mocked the ball rolling down the stairs. And after watching all these Haunted House movies, I've kind of had it up to my fucking eyeballs with balls rolling out of shadows. This was in the early 80s, and as those tropes go, I feel like this one was was really creepy. I like the old wheelchair, not so much the scene where it chases Claire, but it's it's it, you know there's some effective imagery. The, the the secret hidden room, another trope that we run into over and over and over again, that goes back to the Conjuring as well. But there's there's some good stuff in there. Antagonists, I give it a B. There are there are sort of two antagonists in this, both of which I think are cool and work well in the story not earth shattering so they they land in the b category quality of kills it's a d there's not really uh many kills to speak of in this and the ones that actually are in the film i think are handled a little clumsily directing i give it a b plus uh this has maybe the most effective in a, a, a single piano key press for a scare that I, I actually really liked. I found it even better than the one in the in the Innkeepers, which I which I also liked. But I thought this one was better, and also thirty years earlier. Script B plus again, same thing. Acting I give it a B plus. I mean, this is a, a George C. Scott show, and he's you can tell. I don't feel like he's bringing his A game to this, but even you know phoning it in, George C. Scott is pretty incredible. Melvin Douglas as Senator Carmichael, I think gives a good performance too. Everybody else is pretty bland, but they're, they're mostly in the background. I give it an A for Alan Pacula-esque, baby. I love those 70s paranoia films. That probably explains part of my fascination with this movie. But generally speaking, I just think this is a, this is a top-notch, very high-quality haunted house film, especially given the, the time it was made in. I'm going to do a pithy thing here, and I'm just going to read my list exactly as it's written on the page. Overall quality, B. Originality, C. This movie just feels like a series of every trope. Chill factor, B+. One of my favorite seances in the entire 32. So that's something. (laughs) Antagonist, C+. This wheelchair was lame even in 1979. Quality of kills, C. These are weak 70s kills. Directing A minus, strong and intelligent. Script B for boring. (laughs) It is smart, but it's boring. Other is ball rolling down the stairs, foo. By the way, hey, Rich, you need to weigh in on acting, man. Put it on your fucking scorecard. (laughs) You keep skipping acting. Do I have anything to say about acting in this movie? No. What about George C. Scott? <laughs> Melvin Douglas, too. <laughs> but George C. Scott was fine. In it. I mean, I actually liked it in terms of like him like giving like a solo performance or what largely amounted to a solo performance. Whoever the, the, the woman opposite him was oh, that rented the house. Like I fucking know her name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like she just felt like she had been like 
sort of phoned in from the local office. I mean, the other thing is like, like who the fuck even like, why would he, why would he rent that house? Like it doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> That's not the fault of the acting. I actually enjoyed this movie. I, it, it took me back to a simpler time. I found it to be like nostalgically pleasing. And I do think that Peter Midak's directing is, is pretty good. The ending certainly turns it into a more um, heady explanation than you're than you're bound to get from most haunted house films. It just suffered from age a, a little too much, I think. And the the wheelchair again just kind of kills me. Like when I when I think back on the movie, I remember the wheelchair and the ball, and they both seem like thin, cheap scares. That like it's it's hard to imagine anyone thinking they were scary, but you could tell that they really felt like they were when they were making the movie, which almost makes it worse. But I will say that moments like the like the seance did really stand out to me. While I felt like it was the same seance that uh, that you saw in like Insidious um, or in the others, um, minus like a gas mask or two, hmm. uh, it did feel like the most effective classical seance sequence. I actually loved. Was is it help that she was writing over and over again? Yeah. Um, that part like really stuck in my mind. Just like even like the, the delivery of it. Um, the guy who's just reading the papers uh, dispassionately as she wrote them and is just like, help, 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 help. Like, it, it did feel genuinely creepy. And I even like the part where, where George C. Scott um, later on, like, pulls up, like, the tape recording and then hears, like, the EVP on the tape. Um, even though it's something we've seen a million times before, I, I think I mentioned this when we talked about it on the previous podcast – but I did. Ha- I was asking myself as I watched this movie, am I tired of these tropes because I've seen them so many other times before? And was this movie just like the first movie to do some of those? And I honestly, I don't know the answer to it, but I'm pretty sure it was not. And for that, I give it lower marks. It was not a very original movie, but it was an effective one in a couple of notable ways. So I respect your decision. Part of me would love to talk for an hour about this movie and, you know, both the good and the bad, honestly. I mean, it's a movie that's worthy of analysis. And when I was watching it, I was coming up with lots of comments to to give, you know, both in, in support of its charms and, you know, kind of tearing apart its somewhat dated or, or lame elements that I'm not into. But uh, it's one seventeen in the morning here, and I'm sure this podcast is going to be very long. So I'm going to take the short road and just give you my grades. And for me, the Changeling's overall quality is B-, minus, originality C+, plus, chill factor D, antagonist D, quality of kill C, directing B, script B, acting B, Yet another haunted house movie here that could be praised for its bathtub foo, because I think unlike Vic, which is weird, I liked the sort of staging of a bathtub-related kill in this movie, but you know, no more than giving it a C. Uh, but I'm going to give props to, <laughs> randomly, Chandelier Foo. There was, a, I think, Rich referenced a previous Chandelier scene in one of the movies we talked about tonight, but... I, I like the chandelier drop in this one. You know it's coming long before it happens, but it, it's really kind of satisfying when finally that that chandelier does plunge to the floor during what is absolutely a batshit nuts finale. At least batshit nuts for the uh, early 80s haunted house oeuvre. So, too bad this movie's not going up against Stir of Echoes. Uh, I, would, I would note because I think structurally... 
they're kind of similar. We're ferreting out the, the, the wrongdoers via help from ghosts. I think that there's sort of a parallel there, and both films have solid performances, at least from and the kind stars. Of weak antagonists. Mm-hmm. And weak antagonists, exactly. That would be an interesting kind of uh, analysis. But yeah, this movie it grew on me somewhat watching it again here, but I don't think it's really a contender at all for me in the overall picture. So uh, let's vote on it. My vote is obvious. I've already stated it. It's below. Uh, I am below. So, Vic, you don't even have to say, man. You don't have to hurt one of your children. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it. I'm going to leave this one blank. Can I do that? Or do you, do I, do I need to vote? No, you don't. I'll vote. Abs- no, you don't. Absolutely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave, I'm going to leave this one blank then. Mm-hmm. Let the, mm-hmm. let, let, let both my kids know that I love them. We spared you and that. That's right. You fuck it. You fucking Nazis. <laughs> hey, after, after you gave the boot to a beautiful, beautiful film in Tale of Two Sisters in favor of Blumhouse trash. Great. all right well gentlemen it has been a pleasure but it is time to say farewell for now and farewell to all of you listening uh we can't wait to come back to you i think that the next show where we're gonna have to i believe eliminate 12 films and they're all gonna be pretty evenly ranked so wow that one is gonna be crazy oh my god we're gonna have to step up our pace yeah We're going to have to step up our game, our pace, everything. And our drinking. (laughs) That'll help with the first two. All right. Back to Mundo. All right, everyone. From the March Mad Men, we wish you the best. Stay safe and don't let those ghosts pull your sheets off your bed. Adios. Good night. And look out for for, uh, uh, red balls rolling out from from shadowy corners so you don't want to slip and fall. It went better after John than it did after Richard. Sorry. Uh, uh, all right. <laughs> Good night, guys.